Let us pray. O God, you declare your almighty power chiefly in showing mercy and pity. Grant us the fullness of your grace that we, running to obtain your promises, may become partakers of your heavenly treasure. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading this morning from the 116th Psalm. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he has inclined my ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. And then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed. Even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of the saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. The word of the Lord. A reading from 2 Corinthians. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus 
will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The word of the Lord. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. On that day when evening came, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he woke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we can be together. We can worship you. Um, we're thankful for the great gift of your word, and I ask that you um, speak into our hearts with that now. I also ask that you be with all of our kids as they go outside and as they learn and worship together and as they um, thinking on the Psalms and they're ready to serve. Um, be a blessing to them and to their teachers as well. In your name, amen. Boy, I got to say, that collect today, like if I can't say anything else good, just go back to this collect and just meditate on that for a while. That like hits everything I wish I can say. Anyway, uh, my son uh, Ellis, on his first birthday, he was given by uh, grandparents um, this really great teddy bear. It was almost as big as him, so we named it Big Bear. And, and instantly, Ellis was totally in love with his bear. That was his bear. That was the toy over everything else. Um, you know, it's a pretty, pretty great bear. Not cute anymore. Um, but he was. But he's got this great kind of brown, gray fur all over him. It makes him both warm and cuddly. And there's enough texture. It's almost kind of like real fur. It's not just fluff. Um, but the best, most important part, especially for Ellis, it's uh, Big Bear's paws and his nose, because those are made of a different material. It's kind of like a micro suede. Whatever it is, it's, it's, they're always really smooth and soft, just a little bit cool. Um, so for Ellis, especially when Ellis was still a little bit younger, when he needed a cuddle with Big Bear, he would hold him close and stroke those paws and kind of rub against that nose. Um, even in those first years to go to sleep, he would often just suck on Big Bear's nose, uh, it just felt good. Uh, the bear's been washing off a lot. That is why it's not so cute anymore. Uh, well, when Ellis was about two and a half, um, he scratched one of his eyes because he was just running full speed into a couch. Uh, it seemed like a good idea at the time, not so much. 
Um, but it was, you know, painful and irritating and kind of clung with him. And so he became very conscious of the state of that eye for a long time after this. The slightest irritation or annoyance, a little bit too bright a light, and he would react. Um, and every time he felt kind of weird with that eye, his, his solution was he would take Big Bear's nose and just stick him right up against his eye. You know, he'd close his eyelid and shove it in there. Um, or that's what we saw. Um, later, it was about a year ago, he actually explained there was a really important step we didn't realize was happening in that kind of ritual. Uh, first, when his eye was bothering him, he would have to lick Big Bear's nose a whole lot, get it good and wet. Then he would put it up in his eye. Um, and it was, I mean, it would immediately solve any problems. He was excited. That was his miracle cure, spit and stuffed bear nose. Um, we've tried marketing it. It's just not working well in test audiences. But... <laughs> So for Ellis, this big bear, for him it's been this wonderful, constant, occasionally unusual source of comfort. When he's sad, hurting, sick, he needed that big bear in some way. He needed his parents too. It's nice he needed us, but big bear had to be there. As we turn together to our passage today, it's in 2 Corinthians. Um, perhaps as this was read out today, you, you thought a little bit like me. When I came to this passage and started getting ready, I had almost two immediate thoughts. My first thought was, wow, this is like a list of Paul's greatest hits, some of his most important regular phrases we know, the treasures and jars of clay, eternal weight of glory, they're in here. That's neat. And then I also started thinking, oh, another passage on hardship and suffering. I hope you won't fault me too much for thinking that. I won't fault you if you thought that way. Um, suffering is always a relevant topic, but it doesn't mean I always want to take my time to ponder it. And we have actually dealt with it multiple times in this series already. Second Corinthians is, Paul in Second Corinthians is not shy with dealing with this topic. So Christian addressed it in the beginning of the series a few weeks ago. Andine offered a really great message on it. Um, Paul's not done yet, so here we are again. The good news, though, as we get into this, is Paul isn't teaching more and more about suffering, suffering just to be gratuitous. He's not simply trying to drag us down. It's actually quite to the contrary of that. In this passage, Paul's main goal is to build us up and to give us hope. Paul's main goal is to show us the good news even in our suffering, through our suffering, so that we will find comfort and strength. If you'll let me be a little cute here, um, Paul is going to be pointing us to our own big bear, something a lot greater, really, something that brings us comfort for all of our pains and all of our trials and suffering. And we actually come to this right away in the passage. We have this treasure in jars of clay. This is such a great image. It totally sets up Paul's whole discussion here. And of course, the treasure is going to be centrally important. But so are those jars of clay. They're a really important part of this lesson and a nice contrast for us here. Now, I don't know about you. When I think of clay jars, I start thinking about like handcrafted, handmade, interesting things. I think about the clay pottery unit back in school where we had to make jars of clay, you know, took time, tried to make them nice, glaze it, design it. I liked that pot. It made me feel accomplished. It looked sort of okay. It's still on my mom's, the shelf in my mom and dad's house, you know? Um, but that is not what Paul is thinking of when he thinks of jars of clay. Jars of clay in his mind, in his day, they were the cheap, fragile containers that were used for holding anything from food all the way up to expensive or great treasures. They're really pretty much his cardboard shipping boxes. Um, and Paul's metaphor here, it is our body, bodies that are those jars of clay, those shipping boxes. 
And this is Paul's lead-in to this teaching he has for us about our personal bodily struggles, the sufferings we have. We are frail and weak. We may not feel special and valuable, but it's not just about the jars of clay. It is about that great treasure that they hold inside. And that treasure here is the gospel. The first part of chapter 4, you might remember it from last week, uh, was in our readings. Um, Paul talks about having and sharing this great gospel of the glory of Christ, about the light of the glory of God um, in the face of Christ that shines in our hearts. So the treasure in these jars of clay is the good news that our God is a God of redemption, grace, and forgiveness, and that in Jesus we fully see and know that God. The good news is that in Jesus, because of his life, death, and resurrection, we can be forgiven. We can know the love and grace of God. But to be clear, when we think about the good news, we can't let it simply be a truth statement. The gospel isn't merely the idea that God can now forgive us. Um, The good news is that it can actually happen. It's actually experienced in our lives. It's not merely knowing about Christ. It's knowing Christ. All of this is something real and not just something in our heads that we think about. So when Paul talks about the good news and the light of the glory of God in Christ, it's not just something wonderful that we know. For Paul, it's all about the fact that we really experience it. We actually experience Jesus. We are with Christ. Paul actually says much more often that we are in Christ. So this is the treasure in the jars of clay. It is the proclamation of the gospel, but it's that reality of the gospel working in our lives. The treasure is ultimately Christ. Christ with us. Christ in us. And it is this great treasure that Paul means for us to better understand and better hold on to, to find comfort in as we experience our lives as jars of clay, as we know hardships and trials and sufferings of all sorts. As we move forward from here, the passage kind of jumps back and forth a little bit. So we'll just try to explore this treasure, what it really means, um, through three three main themes. Uh, The first, the gospel is proclaimed. This gospel treasure is proclaimed in our sufferings. As next, the gospel is a comfort to us in our sufferings. And finally, the gospel promises that that we will have and know so much more than merely the sufferings of this life. So even at this point, as we begin to explore Paul's teachings about the gospel and our own trials, maybe perhaps we can start to feel just a little skeptical by some of these sort of weighty-sounding claims already coming. Maybe we'll even just question a little bit Paul on this. I at least know from my own experience, when I actually am struggling and suffering, I start to feel a little skeptical of the kind of things Paul wants to say here. You know, maybe I'm wondering, Paul, sounds like you're starting to say suffering isn't all that bad. Is that what you're saying? Or, or I can even feel a little bit like, I'm suffering right now, Paul. What do you know about that? What do you know about suffering? So briefly, we can address these two questions as we move on. First, Paul is not saying suffering is a good thing. He never wants us to think that. But Paul is certain that God is always able to do good even in our worst circumstances or through our greatest pains. This already happened on the cross. When God brought redemption through the suffering and death of Jesus, so surely God can work good through all of our pains as well. But also, as Paul talks here, he's not talking about as one who has no experience in the matter. We might be familiar with his life and think about that, but even in this book, in chapter 11, Paul goes into this a little bit more. In chapter 11, Paul recounts his own trials 
and he tells us about, of countless beatings, numerous imprisonments, um, receiving terrible whippings, being attacked with stones, shipwrecked in constant danger, often near death. So Paul really does understand suffering in so many ways. But then part of me even thinks, well, that, that list, though, these are all sufferings Paul had as a missionary, going forth for the gospel. What about those things that I have just in my daily life, those things that just happen to me, whether or not I'm doing something overly Christian with my time? Are the sufferings I have just from living the same type of thing? Are these still on, in light of this conversation? Are they still important here? Well, also in chapter 12, Paul mentions a thorn in his flesh. We're not sure exactly what that is, but it was some sort of physical ailment, uh, trouble for him. It had to do with his health, not his work. And Paul mentions struggling with that and, and praying about it, and God doesn't remove it. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Which sounds a lot like verse 7 in our passage, actually. So Paul is teaching us about sufferings, all of our sufferings, whether or not they seem especially holy or Christian or just really average and normal things we get into. And Paul is not teaching us in this passage as someone who's mighty, who's never suffered, but as someone who has experienced all of this. He is telling us about the way God works his gospel and brings us comfort in our sufferings because he is so personally familiar with God in all of this. This has all happened to him before. So in our passage, the first thing that Paul is showing his readers is that the gospel is proclaimed even in and through our hardships. That's the full push of verse 7. Um, this great gospel treasure that we have, even in our bodily jars of clay, we have that to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. This gospel we have is so great. There is so much true power in it that Paul says there's actually a real risk people may mistake us as that source of power, of, as that's coming from us in some way. But God actually gives his gospel to us while we're frail, while we're struggling, suffering, perishing. And that shows us and the world that this isn't something that's coming from us. This isn't a human invention or a human strength. This is the actual power of God. God's power in the gospel is proclaimed through our weaknesses. And Paul continues to trace this idea um, in verse 10. This comes after this list of more struggles and problems. And he says there that we always carry in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may also be manifested in our bodies. You may have heard that a lot before. Um, as I read that more and more this week, I kept thinking, wow, that's a really big statement. We always carry in our body the death of Jesus, so the life of Jesus may be manifested in us. It like, should make us kind of gasp and feel shocked a little bit by how much he's saying there. Paul's saying that right now, we don't, normally see jesus face to face we don't normally get to hold on to him and 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 hold to his body in that way but still paul says the death of jesus the resurrected life of jesus they are being shown in this world they're being shown through his disciples his servants and especially they're even being shown through our suffering through our perseverance in that suffering and that is happening daily christ is being revealed to the world daily in this way that's pretty incredible. At the same time, then I have to admit, I think that sounds amazing, and I don't fully understand how that is. Somehow, by the grace of God, all the pains, hardships, trials that we know are a proclamation of the death of Christ. 
And still more, whatever deliverance, help, comfort, sustaining power of God that we experience in this life, those are manifestations of his resurrection life. And it's not just to us, it's to others, it's to the world. I mean, how, how can this be? How does this work? To be clear, normally, that's not how suffering works. It's not a normal thing with suffering. But as Christians, our suffering isn't quite normal. And that's because Christ is with us. The teaching that the gospel is made manifest, even in our sufferings, isn't primarily about anything that we do. It's about the ongoing work of Christ. As I said earlier, Christ is with us. We are in Christ. So as we suffer in some way, Christ is there. He's with us. He joins us in our sufferings. He shines through even our sufferings. So what do we do with that? We just look to Christ. We hold fast to him. We expect that Christ is with us, even when we don't see him, when we don't understand. We trust that Christ will manifest himself through us. We look not to the things that are seen, but to those unseen things. So often, that's the work of God in our lives. Now, of course, this isn't something usually easily measurable. It's not something that, as we suffer, we may even notice. So maybe a challenge for us is to not add to our suffering by kind of beating ourselves up by feeling like we're not doing enough to manifest Christ. Or, or um, the challenge is to not just analyze everything and demanding, Christ, I must see and understand you in this. I think we're just supposed to be trusting, even letting go while Christ works. So we turn to him in our greatest pains for the first time. We return again and again in all of our trials, waiting, watching, trusting. And then perhaps after months or years, we'll begin to see some more glimpses, more fully what Christ has done. Or maybe it won't be until we stand face to face with Christ that we even really begin to understand all the ways that he was with us, all the ways he proclaimed his gospel through us. Now, Paul surely means this to be of some comfort for us. Even our worst pains and trials will not stop the proclamation of the gospel. Even these things um, can show forth Christ. But he has more in mind yet as we're moving into this next theme that the gospel comforts us in our sufferings. So look with me at verses 8 and 9. This is a, a list of various trials and sufferings. As you notice as it goes along, each kind of new pair here um, is worse than the previous ones. So as we read, we're supposed to be feeling this building weight of problems just stacking before us. At the same time, though, the two pairs, as they come together paired, there's always a contrast And that contrast shows us something of the comfort that we have in the gospel with Christ with us. Things aren't actually as bad as they may be. So Paul says, we are afflicted, but we're not crushed. Now this can be translated um, being hard-pressed. Think of it as in like a riotous crowd, people everywhere around you. You're, You're being jostled, but you're not crushed in that moment. We are perplexed, but we're not despairing. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. Here, Paul is thinking um, in the Old Testament, one of the big promises of God is he will never forsake his people. So even though we might be attacked for being Christian, we're not forsaken by God. He is still with us. He is still for us. And then finally, we are struck down, but not destroyed. Or I guess in the Greek, it actually can be, we are destroyed, but not destroyed. I really, I love that one. Um, Paul is, of course, thinking in ultimate terms here. We may even be destroyed in this life, but we will not be destroyed forever. 
We will not be lost from God. We will not be cut off. We won't even stay dead. We will know God's power and resurrection. So in all these trials, we know, know also something of the great comfort of Christ who is with us. Actually, Paul says in the very first chapter of 2 Corinthians, as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. He is with us. He gives us comfort in so many ways. And as we think about the ways that comfort comes, there's just so many things in so many ways that Christ does bring comfort to us. It happens um, just through his very presence and his promises. It happens through the word of God and prayer. It happens through his people. One of the um, yearly disciplines my wife likes is she, she practices, she um, takes a word for the year as something as a theme. She prays around it and picks this word, and this word becomes something she wants to focus on, pray about, kind of try to grow in. Um, her year in 2019 had been really crazy. A lot of really big business changes. She brought on a new business partner, and they actually ended up having both of them babies on the same day in August. So everything was constantly changing, up in the air, all sorts of shifting. So as 2020 rolled around, um, the word Liz chose was stability. She's like, stability is my word. And the more she prayed about that, she actually felt the Lord saying, nope, that's not your word. (laughs) You think you know where this is going. No. Your word is receive. She didn't know what to make of that exactly, but she finally in some way said, all right, receive. Let's see what I do with this. And then, yes, COVID. But actually for us, for her especially, it was, um, it was Sunday morning, September 27th. Uh, I was here getting ready to preach that day, and my wife had a stroke. Um, she recovered from that. Uh, she was actually very unable to move freely for, for a month or more because the stroke messed with her vision so much. She had intense vertigo. So she was just kind of lying on the floor, lying in the bed, sitting on the couch, unable to do a whole lot. And she really began to understand then why it was God told her she was going to receive, why she had to have that. And she did receive from so many, especially the Lord. She truly did feel pressed every day, but not crushed, perplexed, but never despairing. Christ comforted her. He comforted her through his people who came and helped in so many ways, through the reassurance of that word, even receive. He knew he was ready for what was coming. And she even had this settled sense that it was going to work. He was there holding her fast and protecting her. The comfort of the gospel in our suffering then is that Christ is always there. He is always working. And that is in so many ways. It's ways that are seen and it's ways that are unseen. Now, again, we aren't promised a life without suffering. We are promised that Christ will be with us, though, and that with Christ, we still have hope. Hope for our lives now, and even certain hope for a greater end, an end where we are promised that this suffering is not all we will ever have or ever know. And this is the last theme. The gospel of Christ promises so much more than merely the sufferings we have now. Now, we've begun to see this already throughout this passage. We aren't driven to despair. We aren't forsaken. We aren't destroyed. We have a bigger hope. But then Paul really gets explicit with this in the middle of the paragraph of this passage here. It's verses 13 to 15. Paul's explaining to the Corinthians how in the midst of that suffering, he keeps preaching and proclaiming that gospel. And it's really because of this hope he has. And it is God gives him comfort now. He is saying that. But the ultimate hope, the reason for all this is verse 14. It is the resurrection and the full presence of Jesus. 
Paul isn't willingly suffering for the gospel now simply for the comforts that we find in the gospel now. Actually, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that if all we have are comfort and peace from the gospel now, then we don't really have anything. If all we have is some comfort now, all we have is a really frail gospel and it's pretty poor good news because it doesn't actually address the final problems we have, the problems of sin and death. But that is not the gospel that we have. We have the good news of the risen Christ, which gives us comfort even in our sufferings now, but so much more. The risen Christ promises a time when we will never have any sufferings ever again. Our hope in the midst of our worst sufferings is ultimately about this future, when all of us who have surrendered to Christ are raised into bodily life again. And even more, when we are fully and wonderfully alive, we will be brought in Christ's presence and we will see him face to face. He will be able to reach out and wipe the tears from our eyes. We will be able to grab him in a hug or fall at his feet and just cling there. And even on top of that, Paul makes sure we know this isn't a one-on-one thing. This is for all of us. We will all be together, united there with Christ, the church throughout history. And it is together that we will know love and joy and peace such that we really can't even begin to imagine. All this good news of the gospel is ultimately why Paul can say that his sufferings are actually light and momentary. Now again, we know Paul knew really great suffering. But Paul can see those constant pains, beatings, struggles, anxieties. He sees those as light in comparison with the weightiness of the reality and glory that is to come. He sees that as even momentary in in comparison with eternity, that time never-ending that we will have with the risen Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that our sufferings were always going to feel light and momentary. It does mean that as we look to Christ, we can be reminded that our worst sufferings cannot compare with all the glory, the joy, the love that we will fully know in him. So we do not lose heart. Even though we may know great pains daily, great suffering, Christ is always at work. He is comforting us, proclaiming his gospel, and he is bringing about that end that we so long for, life forever with him. Let's pray. Christ, thank you so much that you are always with us. And in those times when we feel alone or beaten, you are there. You never leave us. You never forsake us. Thank you for being our comfort. Thank you for caring so much that you even proclaim yourself through us. I ask that you give us trust and hope. Help us to see um, you in our lives in so many ways. Um, whether we expect it there, were you there or not. Um, Proclaim your gospel and bring many to know the goodness of your love and grace, Lord. Amen.